Let me invite your attention now to uh, the Word of God. Grab a Bible. I hope you brought one. Uh, if you've got a device, maybe you can find Romans 10 in that device rather quickly. Um, maybe there's a Bible even in the view, a few backs, and you can use that one. But uh, I'm going to read my text out of there in just a minute. Just one quick announcement. Um, uh, the church schedule returns to normal this week. You know, it's been Holy Week, and so we moved our Wednesday night program from Wednesday night to Thursday night last week in light of Holy Week. But we return to the normal Wednesday night this coming Wednesday. Now, with that in view, <laughs> I just want you to know that I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm not trying to start a controversy. Actually, I didn't start this controversy. I'm simply responding to a controversy that has been foisted upon me. And um, th those who did start the controversy don't like it when anybody tries to push back they permit no disagreement, and once someone does disagree, they're labeled with some kind of bigoted, hating, racist comment. Uh, folks, all I'm trying to do, as I understand my job, is to help God's people think biblically about whatever situation, whatever topic um, uh, confronts them. And so I, I've got this little four-week series on entitled this. When and how did gender become a controversy? How did gender get to be controversial? How did that happen? And so, ladies and gentlemen, you know that I didn't start that. Um, I'm just going to respond to it. And I'm hoping to give you some kind of biblical data by which you might be able to sort it all out yourself and for your family and for your, your kids and all. Because it is enormous, is it not? So... Come be with us. Um, again, I, I'm not doing it because it's controversial. I'm doing it because God's people need to have some kind of biblical framework into which they might set this thing and understand it aright. I hope that'll help. I mean, I hope these four weeks will help. Now, uh, here's my text. It's out of Romans chapter 10. Um, this, is, this is kind of a something... You, you don't normally read the Bible like this because I'm going to start right in the middle of a verse. Um, you, know, you don't read the Bible like that. Don't do this at home. I'm a professional. Um, so it's, uh, it's in the middle of a sentence where Paul says in Romans 10 verse 9, he says that if you confess with your mouth that, Jesus, that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto justification and with the mouth one confesses and is made unto salvation. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. I, I think you already know that today is a day where all over the world, the Christian church is talking about the same subject, the same topic. Of course, the, the subject of resurrection. And, and I don't know of a better text in all of the, the Bible that speaks of the importance of the resurrection than one I just read you. I don't know where you can find such a succinct statement of the importance of the resurrection to the soul than, than those two verses. It is said here in this text, quite simply, I think, that believing it, that is believing in the resurrection, is an essential component part of being saved. I mean, isn't that what it says, guys? Um, 
that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved? Let me, let me say what it says a bit differently. It says, quite simply, I think, if I don't believe it, that is, I don't believe in the resurrection, then I won't be saved. So that, in my mind, makes it a pretty important statement because it has to do with my eternal destiny. Now, I want you to notice in the text, in verse 9, it does not simply or merely say, if you believe in the resurrection. It doesn't say that. Do you see it? It doesn't say that. There's a qualifier. You know, folks, um, there is so much being said in verses 9 and 10 my hero, Martin Lloyd-Jones, wrote 118 pages on those two verses. 118 pages on two verses. Anyway, um, I, I couldn't cover all of this in 35 minutes, so here's what I want to do. I want to focus your attention. I want to I isolate one prepositional phrase in that statement, and I want to concentrate on it. Actually, it's only three words. I want to concentrate your attention on the qualifier did you notice it it's in verse 9 and it says if you believe in your heart it does not say if you believe the resurrection it says if you believe in your heart it's it's that qualifier believing in my heart that I want us to spend our time on this morning now, now, what does that mean, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Well, folks, I think you know that Satan believes in the resurrection. He, 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 he knows about the event. He saw it. It didn't save him. So what we're talking about is the distinction between belief and believing in one's heart. Ah, that's the trouble with you Christian preachers. You're always, you know, nitpicking. You're always trying to strain at some kind of gnat belief and belief in the heart but you know guys that might be a true criticism of us preachers uh, but i don't think it's so in this case if you'll notice in verse 10 he in essence repeats himself by saying for with the heart one believes to justification so here's how i think we can start at least we can conclude that the belief in the resurrection, the one that is necessary to be saved, is more than some intellectual assent to an historical fact that in no way lessens my ego or interferes with my schedule. That I nod some kind of, in, in the direction, intellectually, to some kind of uh, historical claim, and that's it. That is not what is in view here ladies and gentlemen we must believe in our hearts <laughs> now, what in the world does that mean now gang that means that my sermon is really rather simple i'm not going to be running all over the bible as i do on occasion i'm going to concentrate your attention on a prepositional phrase of three words in your heart what does it mean to believe in your heart because that's the only kind of belief that will say there's a qualifier to the belief not belief but believe in your heart and that's all i want to do is try to explain what it means to 
belief in your heart. So stay with me. First of all, guys, um, what does it mean? Well, it starts in the mind, the intellect, the understanding. But it does not stop there. We'll, we'll see that later on. It's, it's much like one would say, I believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States. But you see, in view here, in, in this text, is not believing in a statement about historical fact. Like George Washington was the first president. No, it's, it starts there. But it says that I believe in my heart. And when the Bible is discussing heart... It's always using it in terms of the whole man, the center of the man, the core of the man, the essence of the man, everything, not just the mind, but the mind, emotions, and the will. So if I'm believing in my heart, it's more than simply being able to intellectually grasp the claim. And so, once I have, oh, understood it intellectually... If I am going to believe it in my heart, that intellectual grasp of the claim then produces a conviction. So now the emotions are involved. There is is an element of conviction. a, a, A conviction that this truth has now come to me with its power and it has a power to change me. Now, gang, I'm going to try to use several ways of just illustrating what I mean by conviction. And I'm going to start with kind of an illustration out of the world of politics, of all places. Um, Let's say, just for argument's sake, that you're a Democrat and you have gone to a lecture um, being offered by a Republican on the subject of immigration. Now, may I hasten to add, you may reverse that if you like. No, I'm a Republican, and I went to a lecture given by a Democrat on the subject of immigration. Don't, 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 don't get bogged up there. Do it any way you all can see it, but you're some kind of uh, political zealot that have gone to the other camp to hear uh, a lecture on a topic, okay? So you listen to the lecture, and you understand intellectually everything that they're saying but it doesn't touch you it doesn't convince you or move you in fact you do absolutely nothing about it you 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 find it quite interesting the the the, the lecture and its logic and 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 enjoyable even and you are able to follow him intellectually and um you, you can even repeat his argument But it's nothing more than that to you. You have not been made to change your position or your political party. In fact, you leave that lecture pretty much the same way as when you arrived. Folks, people come and listen to gospel preaching like that. But when it comes to this issue of believing with one's heart... There is always this second item of conviction to it. Oh yes, I got it. I understand what you're saying. Intellectually, I have no problems with the claim. But when that claim, I, when I understand it, it then produces a, a certain, it has a certain power to it, produce 
a conviction in me. The truth comes to me, and I am not only aware of it, but that truth, it challenges me. It disturbs me. <clears throat> you can say it's even, it's even upsetting me. I, um, I don't, um, I'm not allowed any longer to, to listen to this in some kind of detached manner. No, no. We, we, we become engaged in it, agitated by it. We have this feeling that the, that the, 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 the speaker is speaking directly to me and, and speaking to me as an individual. We're no longer spectators who come sit down in a, in a pew and, and just look on. We're not spectators any longer. No, no. We are, we're involved in this thing, and this truth claim is doing something to me. It is speaking directly to me, and it makes me examine myself. It causes me to, to, to question <coughs> everything that I have heretofore believed. That's conviction. Now, let me try it again. Um, let's say that you are one who has militantly opposed the gospel for most of your life. But then you hear this, these claims about the resurrection and, and, and you begin to wonder whether, um, whether, you're, whether you're right or not. And it makes you uncomfortable. How about this? Forget being militantly opposed. Let's just say that you've lived your life somewhat indifferently, somewhat um, uh, passively when it comes to all of this Christian truth claim stuff. But now, I hear the same things, and suddenly I've been, I've been made to think. And I say to myself, how is it that I could have been guilty of neglecting this truth for so long? How is it that I've never realized before that this is something that has to do with me? We begin to realize that, that this, is, um, this is a matter of vital importance and, it, and I've got to pay attention to what's being said because it's, um, it's speaking to my condition as a human being and, and, if, and I begin to wonder whether I've been wrong. That's, that's conviction that's beginning to bud. The reality of this truth claim suddenly takes hold of me. And the value of that reality begins to stir me and quicken me and awaken me and agitate me and, and, and bother me. That's conviction. <clears throat> See, if you believe in your heart, it starts in your mind... And then it produces a conviction. Now I'm emotionally engaged. Now guys, I, I don't know what your backgrounds are, what your histories are, but um, I, I bet there are probably a lot who were here this morning who were, as a child, taken to some place of worship to listen to some gospel preaching someplace. And, a certain, and at a certain age, you, you never even listened to what was going on. You, you spent the, the time doodling in the bulletin or making you know, paper airplanes out of the bulletin. 
but um, but you you got over that. You you got a bit older, and then you then you began to listen in a different way, kind of in a general sense. And um, and and you may have gone on like that for years, until one day you suddenly you suddenly sensed a different feeling. What he's saying is tremendously important, and it's important to me. And then you begin to listen for yourself, and you, and you find that the, the truth is now challenging you, and, 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 and making you think and reconsider all your ideas and your position. That's conviction. Believing in one's heart starts in the mind produces, and then produces a Conviction. But ladies and gentlemen, there's still more. There's another step. The mind, the emotions, and now there is a right response to the conviction. It is a response that is impossible apart from the prior inward work of the Holy Spirit. But the right response is one that is called repentance. That is, conviction is not repentance, but conviction leads to repentance. I I, I can be convicted without repenting. And and, and while I'm convicted, I may be annoyed by the truth. I I, I resent because the truth is disturbing me now. It, It it suggests that I am wrong and that I need to change and I don't want to change. That means you're under conviction. You cannot leave it alone and it won't leave you alone. There's got to be a response of the will. And that response is called repentance. The, the Latin word from which we get the word repentance means to think again. The Greek word metanoia is a word that means a, a change of mind. So now that which started in the mind has produced a conviction that now beckons me to change. Guys, let me see if I can illustrate that uh, from a parable in the New Testament. In fact, it's an interesting parable. I don't think I've ever preached from this parable. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody preach from this little bitty parable. In Matthew 21, it begins in verse um, 28. Uh, I'm not going to read it to you. Let me just just tell you the parable that Jesus... it's, It's called the parable of the two sons. And here's the parable. This man has two sons. And he goes to... um son number one and he says now son number one i want you to go out into my vineyard and i want you to work out there and um, son number one says i will not and then it says um but afterward he regretted it he says to his dad i'm not going to do that but afterwards somewhere along the way conviction overtook him he over he regretted it and so he goes out into the fields and he does what his daddy told him to, or asked him to do. Then daddy comes to son number two. And he says, same thing. Son, I want you out in my vineyard and I want you to work. 
And son number two says, okay, dad, I'll be glad to. But he never does. And this is the the punchline of the parable. Um, The question is posed. Here it is, verse 31. Which of the two sons did the will of his father? (laughs) Pretty simple, isn't it? And I started off by saying, oh, not me. But then something happened. And I regretted it. And so I went and did what the father told me to do. The other guy says, sure thing. (laughs) Yeah. But does nothing. Which of those two boys did the will of the father? Folks, when the Bible talks about believing in the heart, It's talking about this thing that starts in the head. It then produces a conviction. It it gathers up some emotional steam. And then it produces a change. Ladies and gentlemen, you can listen to and read Shakespeare without any demand to change. But you cannot listen to the gospel like that. That change of mind is one that ultimately leads me to trust in and rely upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. You see, ladies and gentlemen, I started with the mind. but I'm now aiming at your heart. Because that's the place where saving faith resides. That's what the text says, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto justification. And the evidence that that saving faith or believing in one's heart resides in your heart is change. Change begins to happen. Not all at once, but noticeable change. Change in my lifestyle, change in my priorities, change in my values, change in my outlook, change in my behavior, change in my schedule. The truth has now taken over. And that's what it means to believe in your heart. So, have you? you believed in the heart or is it as something that has lodged and remained forever placed in your intellectual dimension and never moved from there because ladies and gentlemen that is not saving faith and I say that under the authority of that statement in the New Testament if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved.
Have you done that? Let me close by just a few words to those of you who already have believed that and you believed it long before you ever arrived here this Sunday morning. To my brother and sister in Christ, here's what the resurrection means to us. It means that our greatest fear is unnecessary. Um, in the sending of Jesus Christ, what God did is that he closed ranks with us. He takes on flesh. He becomes one of us. And, and part of his goal is to help us overcome our, our sense of alienation and our sense of abandonment. And our sense of fear of eternity. He draws nigh to love on his people knowing that their great fear is a fear of dying and what awaits them after he, when they do. And so in the resurrection of Jesus, God is declaring to us and to the world two things. Number one, that you can't work your way into my presence. But number two, that he intends to do the impossible to get his people to himself for an eternity. His work will not stop. Even including a resurrection. He has defeated and will defeat our greatest enemy. He's taken the sting out of that death thing. And the resurrection of Jesus is a promise of God that all who have trusted in Jesus Christ will be the beneficiaries of God's power to raise us from the dead, to lead us through those paths of righteousness right through the valley of the shadow of death and into his presence for all eternity. I raise my son. And I will raise all those who belong to him. Therefore, folks, believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, I hope you see as much more than accepting a fact. It means, it means being confident that God is for you. That God in Christ has closed ranks with us. And he is transforming us. And that transformation will not stop. Until we are enjoying an eternity of felicity and bliss. God's people have tasted of the soul-satisfying greatness of the resurrection that is on display in the physical and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. One more sentence and I'm done. Moses says something. Moses says something that is very interesting. Um, way back in Deuteronomy 1, he wasn't referring to the resurrection, but I think, it can refer, I think it can apply to the resurrection. Here's what Moses said to God's people. He says this in verse 30. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will himself fight for you.
And that fight will continue all the way until the day you die. And then he will raise you. Just like he did his son. If you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray together. Our Father, we, um, we glory in these truths, but they are oh so difficult for us to grasp. They're difficult for us to enjoy. We think temporally, we don't think eternally, but we know that even this life concludes with the cessation of this life. And that's worries us would you speak to your people this morning about the provisions that you have made um, for all of them necessary for life and godliness even taking us all the way through our own death experience when you have committed to raise all those who belong to Jesus and you showed us what you would do for us by doing it for your own son now, Father, would your people um, find great pleasure in being reminded that for an eternity, they are safe. Father, if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, would you cause them to see that what they have is some kind of intellectual acknowledgement of an historical fact which will not save them? What is needed is belief in the heart that produces a conviction and changes our life ongoingly. And it doesn't stop until we reach your presence. Do that, O oh God. You know that I can preach, but that's all I can do. I can preach these things, but I can't produce conviction. I cannot produce repentance. Oh God, would you produce that in the lives of many this morning? Expand your kingdom even this day. And we ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.